Welcome to the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast series. I'm Kit Duval and I've worked with the festival director Chantal Edwards as guest curator of this year's podcast series. Each Thursday, across the next few months, we'll be releasing new episodes of the podcast, including wonderful discussions about writing, poetry, big ideas and social issues. Today's episode brings together three Midlands women, authors Mandy Ross, Abda Khan and Ros Goddard, in conversation about the importance of literature in creating connections and fostering empathy. As members of interfaith organisation Nisha Nasheen, Mandy and Abda run a monthly book club that brings together Muslim and Jewish women. Each month they read a book written by a Jewish or Muslim woman finding within the pages and their discussion more things that unite them than divide them. In conversation with Ros Goddard, they talk about the intersections of faith and feminism and the power of literature to provide space for exchange and connection. This episode of the Birmingham Literature Festival Presents podcast is brought to you in partnership with the School of English at Birmingham City University. Visit our website at www.bcu.ac.uk forward slash English for details of our undergraduate, postgraduate and research degree programmes. Hello and welcome to the Birmingham Literature Festival. My name's Ros Goddard. I'm a poet living in the black country and seem to have embraced Zoom as my home office. I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast from my loft where I'll be in conversation with Abda Khan and Mandy Ross. They're the founders of Nisa Nasheen, an interfaith book group based in Birmingham. Nisa Nasheen is also a national Jewish Muslim women's network working to promote interfaith understanding. So first introductions. Mandy Ross has written over 60 children's books and also poetry and plays for adults. With Roan Randall, she co-edited Jewish Motherhood, published by Five Leaves Publications. This year, Mandy is the Tree Whisperer, Poet of the Woods for the Ledbury Poetry Festival. A member of Birmingham Progressive Synagogue, Mandy has worked in many interfaith settings and has a long-standing interest in using reading to explore cultural identity. Abda Khan is a lawyer turned writer, her published novels being Stained 2016 and Razia 2019. She's currently writing her next novel. Abda is also a project creator, campaigner, volunteer, mentor and Lloyds Bank Woman of the Future Ambassador. Abda was highly commended in the NatWest Asian Women of Achievement Awards 2017 and won British Muslim Woman of the Year at the British Muslim Awards 2019 and most recently shortlisted for the Law Society Lifetime Achievement Award. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi, Ros. Hello. To, to Abda then, first of all, to get us started, could you tell us something about the background to Nisa Nasheem and how you and Mandy came to collaborate and develop it? Mandy and I met at um, an event that we both attended as speakers. So it was the um, it was the Writing West Midlands National Writers Conference. 
and we just got chatting and um when we got chatting we just started talking about you know uh you know a lot of the issues that kind of like we you know uh, were interested in and then mandy mentioned uh, nisa nashim as an organization and she said oh you know we've, we've got this organization nisa nashim i don't know if you'd be interested it was just jewish and muslim women getting together talking about and dealing with certain issues and i said oh yeah just just pop me on your mailing list and then um that'd be great so what happened then was um, Mandy emailed me and said it was actually Mandy that that set up the Nisa Nishim book club. I have to say, but obviously I jumped in uh, and and she 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 emailed me and she said, "Oh, I'm setting up this Nisa Nishim book club. Would you like to come as a guest author and uh, come and speak about your book, Razia?" So I attended the first meeting not not as a member of the book club, but as as somebody who just went along to speak about her book. And actually, it was just such a lovely environment, and and the women were so so nice, and and I think that there was just this lovely sort of camaraderie and this exploring of common themes and common ideas, common issues, common problems, and I, and I just I just enjoyed it so much that I then joined it, and then from there it's just been like it's been great. It's been developing throughout this year. It's been wonderful getting together initially in person but obviously later on now it's been through zoom since covid so really it was just this kind of friendship we struck up at an event that had nothing to do with nisa nishim um, which just shows you how you can just come together when you've got things that you you find out are in common it's just that human touch isn't it? it's just that human aspect of talking to somebody and then actually realizing that you've got so much in common i'm okay i'm muslim and mandy's jewish but but through through literature and through exploring books and themes, we we just realised that me and all these other women and Mandy together, we we actually have so much that you know kind of unites us, and we find out so much about each other and even ourselves. And that's kind of how the book book group has developed. And isn't it incredibly fortuitous when we we meet someone as you did with Mandy, and you realise that there is that underlying connection that that rapport that can be developed and that's the very best way to start yeah so thank you for mm. that really lovely background info there mandy could you give us a, a flavor of how the meetings are organized and actually how books are selected yes well as i've just said we met in person at the beginning uh, and we had a really big attendance we had about 18 19 women and we were careful we wanted to make sure that we had a fairly balanced group with you know roughly equal numbers of jewish and muslim women and we did and we took a pause um, during lockdown and then have found our way to start by meeting online and the books are chosen at the moment um abda and karen skenazi are chairing the group and they've been choosing the books and I think it's been a great selection of very different books, a great range of different kinds of books that bring all sorts of different questions for us. And we find common ground, we find things that resonate, sometimes unexpectedly. We've recently read Catterskill Falls by Allegra Goodman, an American Jewish writer. Um, and she's written about a super orthodox community living in New York and spending their summers upstate in this little town, Catterskill Falls. And 
It's a very, very orthodox community. There isn't an equivalent in Birmingham. And for me, it was like reading almost a different world from my experience of the Jewish world that I'm in. And yet, when we read it together, we could see that some of the Muslim women were finding resonances and echoes that were closer perhaps to some of their experience than it was to mine. So I suppose what I'm finding as we're reading is that there are differences within our own communities um, and subtleties and nuance that you wouldn't be aware of in the other group and finding out where the similarities and where the differences are within our communities and between our communities. Absolutely, I can, I can really understand that. And I think it's going to be fascinating for us to talk about how you feel literature can be a vehicle for creating better interfaith and cultural harmony. So it would be, it would be nice to, I think, uh, dig into the texts a little more. Uh, would you like mm -hmm. to, to perhaps read us an extract from Catterskill Falls? Yes, okay. It, it's a, a novel that weaves several families' stories together. And I'm focusing on Elizabeth, who's a, a, a mother of five children living with her husband. And her children are, are becoming, the, the littlest one is able to walk and they can go and uh, go to children's activities. And she has suddenly a glimpse of freedom and space and time for her to think about something other than being a mother. And and being a mother in our both our cultures is and in every culture, I guess, is really important. But she's thinking about what else can she do and what is she able to do within this very orthodox, very devout community? What will she find that she's allowed to do and be free to do? She talks about at 34, after all the five pregnancies and babies, the constant responsibility. It's like waking from a dream, an exhausting, beautiful dream. But on waking, Elizabeth doesn't feel relieved or peaceful. She's ravenously hungry. She needs something to do. And what she decides she wants to do is to open a store to sell the kosher food that the community needs. But to do that, she needs her husband's permission and support. And she needs to go with her husband to ask the rabbi, the Rav Kirshner, who is the authority, who his authority runs the community, really. And so she has to find a way to persuade her husband, who at first is cautious and uncertain whether this is something that she should do, that she she that he should support. And eventually he comes round to support her. And she needs that support from him, otherwise it wouldn't be possible for her. So she's discussing with her husband. Isaac, she says, I can do this myself. She's talking about wanting to open the store. She says the words in anger, knowing they are untrue. She couldn't go on if he refused. She couldn't oppose him in that way. And of course, the Rav, the rabbi, would never give her permission for her alone to open a store. He wouldn't even see her if she came to him alone. The Rav doesn't really speak to women, not women outside his family, not women with business propositions. So I think that gives us a flavour of how the book is exploring how women's lives can unfold within the kind of community that she lives in. 
and that finding a balance really between what women want within a community of faith. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I wondered, has fostering a spirit of exploration and curiosity been an important aspect um, of developing your discussions around what can be quite sort of tender themes where people might have very strong views. Could you perhaps say something about the way that, that the discussions have developed? Well, I should say that I've been in a Jewish reading group for about 20 years, a really long time. And in that group, we've been exploring our sense of identity by reading our literature. And, and it's really given me a feel for my cultural heritage. And I suppose when we set up the book group, what I wanted to do was to be able to share that exploration of reading our culture and reading your culture, Abda, and sharing it and finding out where we overlap and where the differences are and being able to hear each other and being able to ask the questions that can be difficult to find a place to ask those questions. And as you say, Ros, there are, you know, there are differences between us. I've said it sometimes feels a bit like belonging to a big family where we know that there are differences and very uncomfortable issues between us and almost like being in a family where there's a row or a feud or in the Yiddish word is broigus and yet we're finding a way to meet and to speak and to listen to each other and to raise you know the difficult issues around Israel-Palestine around how Jews and Muslims are seen in in the wider world and to to hear what each other has to say and feels about some of those difficult issues. And the fact that we can come together and hear each other feels like a small but very important connection and bridge between our communities. Thank you. And so, Abda, say a little more, if you would, please, about what you discovered about your own faith from the discussions that have emerged uh, in the group and also perhaps talk to us about another book selection that you've you've recently read which is Home Fire by Kamala Shamsi. Uh, could you could you say a little about that too? Yeah yeah of course um, so Home Fire is the book that I chose and that's the last one um, that we discussed as, as a group um, so Home Fire is, is a really interesting novel which revolves around a, a family, the Pasha family, three siblings. They're orphaned and the eldest sibling, Isba, uh, looks after um, the younger twins. And um, they have a bit of a difficult history because their father was a jihadi who, who, who died in his you know, cause. And the twins, the brother and sister, the brother, uh, Parvez, is, is groomed. Um, uh, by someone who uh, convinces him to follow his um, father's footsteps. So then there ensues uh, the issue of trying to get him to come back when he realises he's made a big mistake. And his twin sister uh, starts a relationship with the Home Secretary's son. And now the Home Secretary is Karamat Lone, um, who has kind of rejected his Muslim background and his heritage in, in an effort to feed in his career. So then 
you know that that that, that sort of travels along from there and uh, it's it's not a great ending to be honest for the Pasha family but you know it's an interesting book because it, it there's so many themes in there that we realise are, are quite common to us. You know, first of all, things like your identity, your loyalty, loyalty to the state or loyalty to your family. And we found that discussing, you know, you know, even the Israel-Palestine issue, where should your loyalty lie to your family, to your state, to your people? Um, and also, and I think I found Karamat Lone a very interesting character because I hadn't really thought about sort of sacrificing your own identity or your heritage in an in an effort to to do well in the world, do you know what I mean? So, and I think that you know, a couple of the women when we discussed this said, "Oh, we we can ne- we can't see we don't see a Jewish prime minister in our lifetime." And um, and I said, "Well, I don't really think there'll be a Muslim prime minister in my lifetime, to be honest." And we all kind of agreed that you know this is something that we don't often think about, but it's probably more common in our thoughts than we than we probably realise. And Somebody like Karamat Lone is probably more common than I realised because I hadn't really thought about it before, about people who, who kind of got their way not to identify with their heritage or their religion. But when I actually thought about it, I, I realised I'd met lots of people like that, but hadn't really, hadn't really sort of, you know, picked up on it at the time. So, you know, it was it's just really interesting how all these different issues, you know, sort of were common between us all. And I actually realised that, you know, um, going back to Catskill Falls, um, what Mandy was saying that, you know, about the super ultra-Orthodox community that was very insular. And I found that actually I could relate to that more than Mandy could because mm. I felt as though the Muslim community and the Pakistani community that I come from in the past and even now have tried so hard to hang on to their culture and heritage and their religious values that they actually became very insular because they're so afraid of sort of losing that connection with their own identity. So there's lots of issues that I think came out of this this book for all of us. Um, it was it was a fascinating mm. read. It really was, and I can I can read a, a little extract actually um, that I can relate to. And it's near the beginning of the book when Isma is leaving England to go study in the States because, you know, her, her twins are finally grown up and she feels that she can leave behind that responsibility. And it's interesting, when I used to wear a headscarf and every time I used to go through Birmingham Airport, I used to get stopped without fail. And I used to get stopped and ask lots of questions. And then one day I was, I decided that I was going to take my scarf off and just put it around my neck and see what happened. And I didn't get stopped. And every time after that, that I did that, I didn't get stopped. So it's, it's, it's when I read this extract, it kind of reminded me of my own experiences. So um, Isma is trying to fly out to the States and she gets stopped by security. Uh, I'm just going to read a little extract uh, of what follows. And the perception or the idea that Muslim women can't be successful or can't have aspirations. It's coming back to a bit, little bit about Elizabeth and Catskill Falls because you know there's all these expectations of women, what women should do, what they should be like, and so likewise in this novel, it you know explores the expectation of what a Muslim woman is supposed to be like or what she's supposed to do. So I'm just going to dive straight in. Uh, so this the the officer finally reached for the designer labelled down jacket Isma had folded over a chair back when she'd entered and held it up, one hand pinching its shoulder. This isn't yours, she said, and Isma was sure she didn't mean because it's at least a size too large, but rather it's too nice for someone like you. I used to work in a dry cleaning shop. The woman who brought this in said she didn't want it because we couldn't get rid of the stain. She pointed to the grease mark on the pocket. Does the manager know you took it? 
I was the manager. You were the manager of a dry cleaning shop, and now you're on your way to a PhD program in sociology in Amherst, Massachusetts. Yes, and how did that happen? My siblings and I were orphaned just after I finished uni. They were 12 years old, twins. I took the first job I could find. Now they've grown up, I can go back to my life. You're going back to your life in Amherst, Massachusetts. I met the academic life. My former tutor from LSE teaches in Amherst now at the university there. Her name is Hira Shah. You can call her. I'll be staying with her when I arrive until I find a place of my own in Amherst. So you see, I think there's this idea that, you know, she can't possibly believe that this, this woman is, is not going to be a terrorist. She, she must be going off over to cause some trouble. Obviously, she can't be going over to study a PhD in Amherst, Massachusetts. So, and, and that kind of reminds me of my career advisor when I was about 15 years old and, and going in for careers advice. And, and I remember she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I said, I'd quite like to go to university and study law. Uh, and she said, she just looked at me and I'll never forget the look. And she said, girls like you don't study law, do they? Girls like you don't go to university. So perhaps you might think of something else. And I think that, you know, it's that kind of this, this passage struck a chord with me for that reason. So I think, yeah, I think yeah. the meetings have proved that, you know, we have so many issues in common that we can explore through the medium of uh, literature. Yes, just on that point, I mean, I was uh, very struck and moved by Isma's experience of interrogation uh, en route to Boston and the, the many accommodations, you know, that she's learned to make to pacify officialdom. And what, what struck me was, I, I don't think I would have been as moved by a news report of that incident but somehow through the writing we're invited to step into her shoes and to develop some empathy and that does bring us to this question of how both books with their real narrative drive and nuanced portraits of characters how they do enable us to step into another's shoes have you found that Mandy uh, has been a developing part of the group, this large open-heartedness, this empathy, mm. this quality of listening. Yes, I think so. And Abda has talked very, very clearly about fiction as a vehicle to allow you to explore a story. But you do, you inhabit a character when you're reading them and then you're experiencing or you're getting closer to experiencing something that you haven't experienced in your own life. So I think it does give you insight. I think it allows you to imagine how how a different life might be. And that's been a real privilege. And I, I've also been aware, we've been reading a, um, a Jewish, a book by a Jewish author next. And this time, as I've been reading it, I've been thinking, oh, I'm reading this, uh, I'm imagining these Jewish characters. And I'm also imagining the Muslim women reading alongside me and what they're making of these Jewish characters that they're reading about. Abdur, I'm sure you've got more to say on that. Yeah, I think I think it's a really unique experience, isn't it, to actually sit and look at each other as though you're a mirror, mm. you know, and, you know, you're kind of like, you're, you're seeing yourself almost reflected in the Jewish woman who's who's opposite you because you you see 
things that are in common but then you also discover things that you didn't know before and you also find uh, a way to kind of like through the characters look into issues that you might never have thought about before issues Mm -hmm. that didn't really didn't really concern you or you know you just didn't have the motivation or the or the inclination to think about or dwell on before so I think I think fiction is a fantastic vehicle to bring people together i am i'm so passionate about this i feel as though hmm. these kind of community book clubs should become compulsory because i feel as though communities can come together when they explore you know thing things matters problems issues ideas through fiction fiction is a great way because it's it's not real so it, you know you don't have to talk about reality almost but because it's fiction that that you know that deals with real issues it gives you um, license to talk about difficult things um, mm. without it being really, really personal. So, you know, we have touched on is- Israel-Palestine. I mean, you can't ignore you know, Israel-Palestine, that, that that issue is there. You can't, mm. you can't ignore it. But it just shows you how you can have that friendship despite the fact that there is this massive issue. And you are sensitive. You, I, I am sensitive that I, I – and I am – uh, uh, aware that I mustn't say something that can be misconstrued and be offensive, and that's quite important. And vice versa, I think, because of the Jewish women are really, really sensitive about, you know, the fact that we feel passionately about Palestine as well. So I just think that, you know, if Jewish and Muslim women can do this with this massive, huge issue like Palestine, imagine what other communities can do. We know there's a lot of hatred in society at the moment. We know mm. there's a lot of hate crime. We know. That you know, community. There's a lot of infighting in communities. Community book clubs like this are a real tonic and a real positive way to deal with problems that we are facing that we can't really hide from. I think you you touch on there a really important point about the way in which we communicate with each other, and in the Buddhist sangha, which I'm part of, which is the spiritual community there's a strong precept around right speech that's to say we try to be truthful kindly and harmonious even in disagreement um so so really yes to both of you you know have you have you found that that when disagreements arise that they are handled with tolerance and how how have you handled strong feelings um if they arise in the group How's the that sort of communication angle dealt with, as it were? I'm, I feel as though we're just beginning to find our way with how to 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 hear each other and to recognise that there are very different, strong emotions on both sides and different narratives that, and we haven't necessarily heard each other's narratives truthfully, and so I feel that it's a long journey that we're setting out on and the trust we need we need to be able to trust each other to to hear and to listen and to to bear things that feel very difficult to bear and i feel there's another mirror there which is i recognize that for both jews and muslims we are held sometimes almost personally responsible for the actions of others who are members of our faith group who we don't necessarily agree with and yet those subtleties are sometimes not recognized so again it's a chance to recognize those difficulties and to i keep saying to be able to to speak and to listen to each other 
And coming back to what Mandy was saying about being held responsible for what people in our faith community do, I think that's a really important point because being Muslim, you always seem to be you know, making excuses for, explaining or trying to offer reasons why this has happened or how you're not part of terrorism and you, you, you do disown terror, you do denounce it. And it feels like you're forever kind of like explaining to people that you're, you're not that person. And I feel as though the Jewish Muslim thing, like I feel as though we understand each other on that level because, hmm. you know, we, we don't agree, we don't always agree with what other people and even leaders in our communities and our faith groups do but sometimes it's difficult to get your voice heard out there it's always controversial things that get heard it's, it's never the happy the the peace loving the the positive stories that can always you know make a make a breakthrough so it's nice to have our group where we can actually share those ideas and say you know it's great to be somewhere where we can talk honestly about these things and say you know what hey uh, i'm just a muslim you know i'm not I'm not part of this or that. I've got free thought and, I'm, I, and I want to be perceived like that. So I think it's just such a lovely safe space in which to do that. And I would add as well that that there, there may be conflicted feelings, bonds that you feel despite disagreement uh, within, within your faith group, I think. I feel it's a very complicated series of connections that we, as 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 Abda says, we're able to to begin to unpick and explore together in the group. And isn't it absolutely crucial that we're having these conversations, and that these creative conversations are starting to happen more and more? For example, I'm I'm part of a race affinity group at the Birmingham Buddhist Centre. And I've found in discussions that we have that sometimes I feel words get stuck in my throat because I have this fear of causing offence, being clunky, not knowing the right form of words. But the brilliant thing is that the conversations are happening and we are moving forward. We're, we're being heard together and it sounds very much as if that's what goes on in your group. Yes, and I was going to say, uh, Abda referred to uh, an incident in South Birmingham in July where there was one of our members spotted a a, a, horri a horrible piece of anti-Semitic graffiti. I've never seen something like that close to home. And she told about it in the group, in our WhatsApp group. And Jewish and Muslim women came together to stand together beside this piece of graffiti and called the police to remove it. And my rabbi, our woman rabbi, Margaret Jacobi, came and our MP came for the constituency. And we stood together against that anti-Semitic graffiti. And we made a new sign that said that we were Jewish and Muslim women standing together against hatred. And I feel very sure that should it be necessary, and I hope it won't, that if there were anti-Muslim graffiti, we would go and stand together against that kind of hatred. And in these times when, yes, it can feel as though hatred is rising, and there are many groups who are vulnerable to to hatred for race or for their faith or ethnicity or LGBT groups, it's really important that we can stand together rather than allowing ourselves to be picked off individually. So that's been a very important part of, of the group in action. 
So you can never underestimate the ripple effect of having interactions like this in a book group. So I think if anybody's listening out there and they're thinking of setting up a book group based on whatever, you know, whatever kind of ideas they've got, please go ahead and do it because you can never underestimate the ripple effect of, of everybody sort of going home and talking to their family and perhaps the child talking to somebody at school. And, you know, this is the ripple effect. When you learn something about somebody from a different community or faith or background or colour, whatever it might be, you didn't know before, and that helps you to understand them better. And, you know, you're inevitably going to talk about it with your work colleagues, your friends, your family, and then that has a ripple effect. And that, I feel as though the ripple effect can't be underestimated because that, that helps, you know, to improve relations within society generally. Yeah, the ripple effect, how, how wonderful. I thought it would be lovely for us to finish this podcast with um, a very short extract from both books that show Elizabeth and Isma in their strength and dignity. So perhaps, Abda, if I could turn to you first. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to continue with, with the previous, because I feel like the listeners might want to know what happened after my <laughs> previous little extract. So we've just got to the best where she's explaining she's she's going to be in Amherst, Massachusetts. And the reason I want to read this this extract is just shows how dignified she is, even in a situation like this, where she's being interrogated and humiliated almost. So I, I think I'll just continue reading that if that's okay. You're going back to your life in Amherst, Massachusetts. I meant the academic life. My former tutor from LSE teaches in Amherst now at the university there. Her name is Hira Shah. You can call her. I'll be staying with her when I arrive until I find a place of my own. In Amherst. No, I don't know. Sorry, do you mean her place or the place of my own? She lives in Northampton. That's close to Amherst. I'll look all around the area for whatever suits me best. So it might be Amherst, but it might not. There are some real estate listings on my phone, which you have. She stopped herself. The official was doing that thing which he'd encountered before in security personnel, staying quiet when you answered their question in a straightforward manner, which made her think that you had, to, you had more to say. And the more you said, the more guilty you sounded. The woman dropped the jacket into the jumble of clothes and shoes and told Isma to wait. That had been a long while ago. The plane would be boarding now. Isma looked over at the suitcase. She'd repacked when the woman left the room and spent the time since worrying if what she'd done without permission constituted an offence. Should she empty the clothes out in a haphazard pile, or would that make things worse? She stood up, unzipped the suitcase, and flipped it open so its contents were visible. A man entered the office, carrying Isma's passport, laptop and phone. She allowed herself to hope, but he sat down, gestured for her to do the same, and placed a voice recorder between them. Do you consider yourself British? the man said. I am British. But do you consider yourself British? I've lived here all my life. She meant there was no other country of which she could feel herself apart. But the words came out sounding evasive. The interrogation continued for nearly two hours. He wanted to know her thoughts on Shias, homosexuals, the Queen, democracy, Great British Bake Off, invasion of Iraq, Israel, suicide bombers, dating websites. After that early slip regarding her Britishness, she settled into the manner that she'd practised with Anika, playing the role of the interrogating officer, Isma responding to her sister as though she was a customer of dubious political opinions, whose business she didn't want to lose by voicing strenuously opposing views, but to whom she didn't see the need to lie either. 
when people talk about the enmity between Shia and Sunni, it usually centers around some political imbalance of power, such as Iraq or Syria. As a Brit, I don't distinguish between one Muslim and another. Occupying other people's territory generally causes more problems than it solves. This served both for Iraq and Israel. Killing civilians is sinful. That's equally true if the manner of killing is a suicide bombing or aerial bombardments or drone strikes. There were long intervals of silence between each answer and the next question as the man clicked away. Thank you, Abda. Mandy? Yes, I've chosen a passage towards the end of Catterskill Falls, which I feel is exploring the how to reconcile a feminism, a woman's wish for independence, and the authority, a very masculine authority. We haven't talked about that, about how our book group is a, a place for women's voices, both as writers and as readers, in two cultures that have been traditionally, predominantly, very male-run. So here we are. This is about the Rav's authority, the rabbi's authority in the community. And to Isaac, Elizabeth's husband, it's not a matter of politics. Following the Rav is, and always will be for Isaac, an issue of aspiring to the best life. Elizabeth had been innocent like this, but curious. She envies her husband his devotion. She wonders even now what her daughters will inherit and discover whether they will shake themselves and venture out, even if only to touch the larger world, the city with its thousand neighbourhoods and businesses, its traffic, its steel bridges pointing to far places, whether they will take exotic paths, researching in libraries or entering law school, learning languages, and she doesn't know what else, or whether, like their father, they will absorb themselves in the life and turn heart and mind toward the kahila, the community. So that's that feels to me like the heart of the book, how to balance being part of a devout community with what women can aspire to. Mandy Ross and Abda Khan, thank you both so much for being part of this fascinating Birmingham Literature Festival podcast. And long may Nisa Nashim thrive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to tell us about it. Leave us a review and a rating. Find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Beham Lit Fest. And take a look at the rest of this year's digital programme on our website at www.birminghamliteraturefestival.org. You can download our latest podcast episodes every Thursday from all the places you would normally get your podcasts. Until then, happy reading. The Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast is curated by Chantal Edwards and produced by 11C and Birmingham Podcast Studios for Writing West Midlands.